Hello, and welcome to Sports in the Waiting Room. I am your host, Chris Russo. This is episode 12. As has been the custom lately, I've been publishing the episodes and putting them out on Wednesday, and I have been recording them on Tuesday in the last couple of weeks because I've had games to cover for the 87s on Wednesday. That will be the same this week. And, of course, this is a Tuesday, so day I record is Inauguration Day. Look, again, just a message, just to be civil, because God knows so many people have not been, uh, regardless of politics, just hope we can move forward. People can just be respectful of each other, civil, peaceful, I mean, especially today, because because uh, there are a lot of a lot of heightened security because of the capital attack. Um, I'm just hoping people on both sides can be respectful, obviously, um, be respectful, civil, peaceful, uh, regardless of party lines, hoping just we can have a peaceful transition of power. Uh, on, on another note, I am happy to be back. Uh, of course, the reason why I am uh, recording this on Tuesday is because I'm doing the game tomorrow. Not just that, I am actually doing play-by-play tomorrow. And it will be for the first time in seven months that I have done play-by-play of any kind other than to myself in my house because I've been that desperate for it. But I will be play-by-play. I'll be by myself for the 87s game. Anthony DiPaolo, my good friend, will be off for the day. And the last time I did play-by-play was June. It was outdoors. It was for a it was for the last dance tournament the New Jersey Little League the new, not Little League the New Jersey High School baseball tournament for WSOU they were nice enough to let Jose Feliciano and I Jose Feliciano and I outgoing seniors to both do it I was not on the call with him for that game but it was a game in I don't even remember. I honestly don't remember where it, is, where it was now. Do I want to say West Orange? I can't remember. But anyway, it, I, it was outdoors. Lovely day. I had the mask on kind of part of the time. I was I was on with Brent, my friend Brendan Balsamo, and we were kind of far. We were far enough apart that I could have taken off. I took off my mask for part of it. But this, of course, is going to be indoors. So, look, I'm I've been very good with, in terms of my health and following safety guidelines. And I've had my mask on almost the almost the entire time that I have been in the building in Jersey Shore Arena and at um, Hatfield Ice Arena in Westchester, Pennsylvania, when we had to do some games out there. So I it may be uncomfortable, but I'm going to keep my mask on the entire time. And if I can do that, then you can do that too. Just so I'm so yeah, hoping you're home and safe and and. Uh, with family or friends with somebody. So look, if I can go to that far a length, I'm just, I'm just saying you can do that. I have that mask on for probably four, four and a half, five hours. And not to mention I carpool with Anthony. I drive, I drive with him. So I have my mask on in the, in the car the entire time we're in there. So really I my, I have my mask on almost without interruption for about, probably maybe seven hours, maybe seven hours at a time, maybe a little more than that. So if I can do that, you can do that. You can, you can keep people safe. And even for, even as the vaccine is starting to roll out, you can keep people safe because this is not going to go away immediately. So as for the 87s game itself, it was very fun to do the game on Friday. They played the Connecticut Rough Riders and due to you know, just rescheduling and travel and everything. The Rough Riders will be playing two more games Wednesday and Friday at Jersey Shore Arena, and it was pretty. It was a pretty fun game. It was three two eighty sevens going to the third, and then they opened it up for three goals, and then we got a lot of extracurricular activity. That's the the, the nice Doc Emmerich way to say it. Uh, so the so a lot of guys going at it, it was. Uh, pretty fun. You could, like there were guys who had been got ten minute misconducts who were still yelling from the stands and their skates. It was it was some fun stuff. These guys will continue to produce some good games this upcoming week. Uh, so moving on to the re- what you really what you're really here for is to hear about pro sports. Going to talk about the NFL playoffs, how things broke down last week, how things 
I think will break down next week. I am going to talk about the MLB in particular, really just about the local teams this week for just the local teams in reference to my area. So I'll talk about some of the Yankees moves and the Mets firing Jared Porter and, and talking about that whole situation. That was that that whole situation came down last night into this morning as it, the morning that I record this. NBA, I'm going to break down the James Harden trade and the Kyrie Irving situation at the, this huge this huge trade. Talk about Carl Anthony Towns and his COVID situation and a little a brief kind of local NHL roundup. Islanders and Rangers going at it the first two games, two very different games, and a little bit about the Devils, maybe a little bit about Washington and Pittsburgh, too. So kind of just the, talking about the mass mutual Atlantic division. It's sponsored this year for some reason, but I mean, if they can't get fans, that's fair enough. So NFL playoffs. First off, my predictions from last weekend, I went 3-1 and one for the weekend. I picked the Packers. I picked the Bills. I picked Kansas City. However, I did pick the Saints. So, just a kind of a recap here. The Rams, Rams lose to the Packers. I think it was 32 to 18. Look, the Rams were adequate. They were okay offensively, especially since Goff was probably not at 100%. But they really could not contain Aaron Rodgers without Aaron Donald, or without Aaron Donald at 100%. Because he clearly was not there, the Packers went after him. They got and they got to him all game. So the biggest key, if you're the Rams, just get him healthy next year. Have Jerry Goff healthy next year, and you can compete. And maybe improve the linebacker linebacking core. That's the only. I think that was the my only real. You know, I, I judge defenses pretty much by honestly. Do I know the the guys on the roster? And, and do they have, it, it's not part of it is statistics, but part of it is name recognition for me. And the linebacking core for the Rams doesn't really do it. Obviously, I'm not a scout, but that's you know that's just how I see it. I think the Rams need to improve the linebacking core. I think that's their key. If you're a Rams fan, you're probably more likely to know than I do. But just I'm just pointing that out. So if the Rams can do that and just stay healthy next year, they're an even bigger Super Bowl contender especially with Drew Brees likely to retire. I will get into that in a moment. But with Drew Brees likely to retire, you know, things open up in the NFC a little bit. Even with Aaron Rodgers, I can't imagine Aaron Rodgers would possibly retire. He probably just had the best season of his career. So, Ravens-Bills, a 17-3 Buffalo victory. I know people don't like the really low-scoring games. I do. I love them. I loved the fact that the drives were so long in this game. To, I, it's funny. I don't think Buffalo really relied on Devin Singletary that much. I think they still relied a lot on the passing game, but they were really able to run time off the clock. The crowd was loud, even for six thousand seven hundred. I think it was still sixty-seven, seventy-two people, uh, even for its size as expected. That pick six by Johnson was the entire game, really, because. The Ravens and Bills had taken up nearly the entire third quarter with one drive each. There was like a minute left, minute and a half left in the quarter. The Ravens would have at least cut the lead to four. They could have gotten a field goal there. And then not only is it a pick, I, I was a little surprised initially that he was going to run it out of the end zone because I figured he'd just take a knee there. But credit to him, 14-point swing, took it all the way back on one play, and in a 14-point final, it's it was the the pick six was everything. The Bills produced a little bit offensively, and the Ravens were honestly not that bad offensively, considering considering especially considering how many points they scored. But the 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 pick was the entire game. That was the whole game. I will say though, it Tyler Huntley after Lamar Jackson got hurt. Tyler Huntley was actually pretty good, not on the first drive, but on the last drive. If not for the pick six, he might have actually re- led the Ravens to victory. If Lamar, Think about it. If Lamar Jackson doesn't throw that pick, let alone if it's run, not run back for a touchdown, it's a they probably kick a field goal. It's probably a four-point game. And then Tyler Huntley is driving. He might drive for a touchdown to win the game. He actually played pretty well. So the, the important thing for the Ravens is just to keep, is to keep Lamar Jackson healthy and, w- and win more in the regular season for home field. And frankly, if, if your quarterback's going to get a concussion, 
maybe improve the pass blocking. Now, I are, I noted this morning that apparently the Ravens... I found out this morning that the Ravens apparently have released Robert Griffin III. That's not a huge deal because I, Huntley definitely proved something. But they also released Mark Ingram. Now, Mark, Mark Ingram might be near the end, but they obviously still have a, a bright future in the backfield with Jackson alone. But with J.K. Dobbins and with Gus Edwards in addition, maybe if they so next year, if you're the Ravens, stay healthy, maybe improve the pass blocking a little, and perhaps add a, a maybe add, maybe add somebody who can replace Mark Ingram, or or maybe even a receiver because the Ravens are not that scary a passing team. But other than that, you know, good year, and get so getting to Browns Chiefs. The Chiefs hold off the Cleveland Browns, a stunning victory with Patrick Mahomes out due to, I'm not sure if they officially ruled it a concussion, I think it was more of a neck injury. If you, if you look at the play, there wasn't really a hit to the head, it wasn't a dirty hit, but it was, his neck was kind of pulled and extended. Um, he's, apparently he's okay, I, I don't know, I'll, I'll get to that in a second, but for the Browns offense, aside from the pick... Baker Mayfield, I thought, played fairly well. And the Browns were able to stop the Browns were able to stop the Chiefs in the red zone later, even a little before Mahomes left the game. And they also benefited from Harrison Bucker's mistakes. Missed a field goal, missed an extra point. Now, the Browns could have won this game, maybe even with Mahomes playing, if they had just run more with Kareem Hunt late because he had six carries for 32 yards. There was a period where they just kept running it with him, and he was bowling over his former teammates. They were He was running it down their throat. He had a touchdown in that game. So if they had kept going with him, I, I think even though I think he's considered more of a pass-catching back, and Nick Chubb is more the guy in the backfield, I, I, if they had just kept giving it to Kareem Hunt, I think they wouldn't have won, uh, Kareem Hunt, I think they wouldn't have won that game. So next year... The Browns, I think, obviously was was especially difficult. Miles Garrett was a little hurt, so get him healthy. Get the offensive line completely healthy. Need to make sure that OBJ fits into that scheme because obviously they went further without him this year than they did with him. There, there's not a lot to it. I don't know if there's much they can do in terms of the roster that will make a huge difference. So, lastly, the Saints Buccaneers game. Buccaneers defeat the Saints on the road, thirty to twenty. And it is, I will say, this was not as bad a send-off as Dan Marino losing 62-7 to to the Jaguars in the playoffs. But this was a rough way to go for Drew Brees because we're, all reports make it seem, although I don't think he's confirmed it yet, all reports are pointing toward his retirement immediately. And it's a sad way to go for him, but... You also have to say, the Saints lost because of the way he played. Threw three picks. It was the first time ever he's thrown three picks in the playoffs. And really, he didn't manage the game well enough. I'm going to say, I don't think Tom Brady played that well anyway. He threw for under 200, just under 200 yards. And he was... His completion percentage was probably a little over 50. It was not that great. But obviously, Breeze... You know, he had short throws, which is not terrible, but it's the fact that he threw three picks and gave the Buccaneers a lot of field position. The, the Saints lost because of him, frankly. It, it's it's disappointing to say if you're a Saints fan, if you're a real fan of Drew Brees, but it but that's that's what it was. So, and then, you know, there was the whole there was the whole um, thing after the game with Tom Brady throwing to Breeze kids. I haven't seen it yet, but I heard about it. And Tom Brady, and you know, just them saying goodbye to each other, probably for the last time on a football field as competitors. Um, now, going into next year, look, I don't think Taysom Hill or Jameis Winston is the long-term solution at quarterback. But at least for the time being, they're going to have to keep those guys uh, the Saints, in particular, are going to have to spend on their free agents. I think they have a few free agents upcoming, especially on the defensive side, and maybe draft a quarterback if they can get somebody a little lower. Now, uh, 
moving on to Drew Brees' legacy. He... Okay, so my top quarterbacks of all time, I was apprehensive about... pick For a few years, I was apprehensive, even after people said that Tom Brady was the best, I was apprehensive about saying that he was the best because I kind of dis- I discredited one of those Super Bowls because of um, D- uh, Deflategate, and I discredited another for the tuck rule. And not to say the first one was really his fault, but the... No, so event- but eventually he won. Once he got to 6-4 fairly, then yeah, he's definitely the best. And then I... So Tom Brady's my number one. I put Montana number two. Peyton Manning is my three. A lot of people... I get a lot of flack for this because these two guys, you know, may not have been the most talented, but to me, they won. Uh, they won almost as much as anybody. And they were good innovators to the game. Number four, I put Johnny Unitas. In, in particular because of the greatest game ever played, the Giants-Colts game in 58, how he originated the two-minute drill with Raymond Berry, timing patterns. Uh, he, was, he was maybe one of the first great deep ball quarterbacks. And probably, except maybe Otto Graham, probably the precursor to the great quarterbacks today, the great deep ball quarterbacks. Number five, I put Terry Bradshaw. Now, I know Terry Bradshaw obviously benefited from the greatest defense, probably the greatest defense in NFL history, one of the greatest coaches in NFL history in Chuck Knoll. And he had, you know, a couple of Hall of Fame, not like Jerry Rice level, but great Hall of Fame receivers in Lynn Swan and John Stallworth. And he had Franco Harris in the backfield, threw a lot of picks. But Terry Bradshaw, because he was able to win four Super Bowls and he was able to win Super Bowl MVP twice, he's only one of five guys to do that. That would be Bradshaw, Bart Starr, Tom Brady, Eli Manning, and... Oh, I lost it. Oh, Joe Montana. Uh, I put Brett Bradshaw at five. Now, Drew Brees, to me, is a top... somewhere between sixth and, sixth and eighth somewhere between a top six and a top eight quarterback of all time. Because I put him above, you know, there are a lot of guys. I put him above Jim Kelly, Joe Namath. I put him above, uh, I, I do give him the edge over Dan Marino because he won a championship and he was able to throw for, for more yards consistently each year. Um, I I put him ahead of Troy Aikman because I think Roger Staubach is actually the best quarterback in the history of the Cowboys because he had to because he had less around him and he had to you know he had to deal with more uh, with a tougher competition especially with the Steelers. I I give Breeze the edge over Staubach because uh, just because of the deep ball ability and the ability to throw for five thousand yards so many times you know despite not winning an MVP I put him ahead of. Kurt Warner, I put him ahead of Philip Rivers. I put him ahead of, uh, frankly, I put him ahead of Big Ben and Eli because he was, because of what he was able to do as a passer, even though he did, even though he only won one championship. Put him ahead of Steve Young. I, th- I, I think I, uh, now it's like there are a couple of guys that might be still ahead of Drew Brees, and that's maybe because of longevity. I still put him ahead of Aaron Rodgers, and I also put him ahead of Brett Favre. But there's like. It's like maybe Staubach and maybe John Elway I, I, I might put ahead of him. But Drew Brees deserves so much credit. One, for being, for redefining the position for guys under six feet. And the guy never won an MVP. It's, it's, it's hard to believe, but Drew Brees, despite throwing for 5,000 yards way more than anybody else, I, he's the only guy I think to throw for 5,000 yards twice, let alone, I think he did it like four or five times. Somehow never won MVP. He has meant so much to that city, He was, to the city of New Orleans. He was able to reinvigorate his career even, even after he was essentially forced out of San Diego. The Dolphins stupidly decided to pass on him. He went to New Orleans. He embraced the city. His entire family embraced the city. He meant he's meant so much to that to the city of New Orleans since Katrina. That o that o six o seven team was so important to the revitalization of the city of New Orleans and that entire area. Yeah, even if it's more from a you know just a, just an emo- mental emotional standpoint than actually just building rebuilding things. But 
that team meant so much. Winning a championship, bringing a championship to New Orleans. Uh, he is one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time. I, I put him between the top six and eight. And honestly, like Peyton Manning or perhaps Aaron Rodgers, I, I think if he had, if he were able to benefit from, and Tom Brady's the best, but if he were able to benefit from having you know, Bill Belichick as a head coach or, or, or like a Lombardi or somebody like that, as great a coach as Sean Payton is, if he were able to, be- to benefit from that, he might he might be the greatest quarterback of all time. He, I think he has more... I think Tom Brady's a better quarterback and he wins more, but obviously he's the not, not the most talented. Drew Brees might be the most talented along with maybe Peyton Manning, maybe, maybe the best... And maybe Aaron Rodgers, maybe the best thrower and the best pure passer of the football in the history of the game. So uh, it's, it's a tough way to go, but this guy has such a legacy that should overshadow how it ended. So getting to the games themselves this upcoming weekend. So my picks, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and the Green Bay Packers, number five at number one. I mentioned, look, I think the Saints lost more than the Buccaneers won. The Saints lost the game more so than the Buccaneers won the game, or at least Drew Brees lost the game more so than Tom Brady won the game. I Look, I definitely trust Aaron Rodgers more than I trust Tom Brady right now. Although I think Brady can manage the game, Aaron Rodgers is was the best player in the NFL this year. He's, he's going to be the most valuable player in the NFL. He had the best year of his career, and this game is going to be in Green Bay. And the, the forecast calls for snow. Now, I know Tom Brady's played a lot in the snow before, but when you play on the road in the frozen tundra and they're going to be fans, you don't usually win. I'm taking the Packers. Now, Buffalo and Kansas City. This, I think, is a more interesting game with or without Patrick Mahomes. Now, I don't think Patrick Mahomes should play. This is a this is a it's a hot take, but I don't think Patrick Mahomes should play, at least based on how dazed he looked to me after being hit. Obviously it's it's not apparently concussion, but he looked he looked that out of it that I don't think he should play this week. As great as Mahomes is, I might actually be more inclined to pick the Chiefs if Chad Henney plays than if Mahomes does. I think this honestly may be the toughest game to pick in the entire postseason. And look, it, it, it may depend on who plays quarterback for Kansas City. Would you rather have you know, a healthy Chad Henney or... Or a banged-up Patrick Mahomes. Obviously, you'd probably say a banged-up Patrick Mahomes, but I don't. What what per, at what percent is he? I I don't know how how good he's going to look. I don't I don't know how how much how much he is there mentally, and, and it's, it's that has nothing to do with you know his focus. It just has to do with how much of a hit you can take. So this may be the toughest game to pick all postseason, but I am going with the Buffalo Bills. So that's that's where I'm going. All right, uh, moving on to the MLB here, and the big story, of course, in this past week is the Mets firing Jared, the newly hired general manager Jared Porter, after discovering he sent a number of an, of unanswered messages, including, and this is, you know, particularly why he was fired, two lewd and graphic unsolicited photos. I won't go into details, but you can. You know, you can imagine, and you can also uh, fi- uh, find this on this article from ESPN. He sent these photos to a foreign female reporter back in 2017. This is per Mina Kimes and Jeff Passan of ESPN. I, I do want to point out, I read this entire article. Please read that article to get the full story because it's very thorough and it shows that, first off, it's, it's, um, very, it's very good journalism and very good investigative journalism, but... More importantly, it shows how serious an offense this really is. This this guy was incredibly persistent. He could not take a hint. Uh, this guy sent apparently, I thought it was originally like fifteen or seventeen messages, but th- uh, but someone told me apparently it was like over sixty. Regardless, these were all unanswered. Um, horrible. This. Uh, uh, it's absolutely terrible. This woman has apparently, who's this woman is, is asked to remain anonymous, and this ha- of course this happened 
they met in 2016, apparently while he was working for the Cubs. If you don't know, I didn't really realize this. Jared Porter was uh, kind of a Theo Epstein disciple, was with the Red Sox for three championships, was with the Cubs for their 2016 championship, and he met this woman apparently in an elevator at Yankee Stadium in 2016 while he was working for the Cubs. They exchanged numbers, and this woman is from a foreign country. She apparently does apparently does not speak a lot of English, and she's not very used to the culture. It's one thing if he did this to an American. It's horrible enough if he had done this to a, a woman who spoke perfect English and understood our culture. That's that's horrible enough. It's let me just point out the 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 fact that she's foreign height, heightens it, and that she's you know kind of naive about it's kind of the best way to put it, I guess, uh, to our culture that doesn't, that makes things worse, but it doesn't necessarily mean that he, it does not remotely mean he would be off the hook if he did this to a woman from America or, or English speaking Canada or the United Kingdom. Um, this woman has apparently left journalism altogether. Um, she knew about this a while ago, and she may have told, I don't know how long ago she told reporters, but with Porter now taking a higher position and getting a lot more media attention, she, either the reporters asked her, or she decided to come forward and say, okay, I want, I want to bring this forward. Now, this woman has left journalism altogether. Apparently, she's working in finance now. She has returned to her home country. I won't speculate where it is. Uh, but we do know that it is a a foreign country that does not, uh, and she does not speak a ton of English. Um, she apparently, and this is really sad, she is apparently asked to remain anonymous because her country would apparently, ch she says her country would chastise her for this because they, are, they chastise women for anything of a sexual nature, even if, you know, e even if she was, she had nothing, she did nothing wrong in this, but apparently, because she had something to do with it, her country would be kind of behind the times and would give her some blame. Not, not to say there wouldn't be some blame in our, I mean, there some people I think would, would be, unfortunately, there is victim blaming in this country too, but it is especially far behind. Um, credit to the Mets for getting this done immediately. There's probably maybe an eight hour, there's maybe an eight hour differential between the report coming out and, and him being fired. Steve Cohen gave a, gave a, a brief statement that pretty much said that this is, there's a zero, zero tolerance over this. And he's absolutely right. I'm glad the Mets were able to do this quickly. Part of that, it's, um, you know, part of why um, it's a good example of why this front office and this ownership group, uh, not to say the Wilpons wouldn't have moved quickly on this, but but uh, why the Mets should uh, Mets fans should put such confidence into this ownership group. Um, it it's it, it you know uh, this man. Look, I, I just hope this guy. I Greg Giannotti pointed this out this morning. I was watching uh, Boomer and Geo, uh, and pointed out you know. You hope the guy doesn't have some sort of sexual addiction or some sort of mental illness because if you don't and you and you do something like this, then you're just uh, like then there's just something totally morally ethically wrong with you. Um, but I don't know. I just hope for the best. I you can be thankful that this at least did not. You can be at least grateful that this didn't develop into you know, that this wasn't a physical assault, but that doesn't, that clearly does not demean uh, the fact that this was a, a disturbing, persistent, perverted, horrible act. And it forced, the, and whether Porter meant for it to happen or not, he forced this woman, he essentially forced this woman out of her job. Uh, so, it's it's incredibly sad, but I'm glad the Mets were able to move on this quickly. I don't know what this means for them as an organization. Who will take over next? I have not 
heard at this point. Uh, it's possible that Zach Scott, who I think was another, I think was the assistant GM, is another, I believe, another Epstein disciple, takes over. But uh, the, the the Mets organization with, with Sandy Alderson at the helm, from an organizational standpoint, I they have uh, they have a lot to look forward to, and they uh, they 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 can have a lot of faith in their front office. Now, moving over to the other side of New York City, to the other to the other side of maybe the East River, moving over to the Bronx, you have the Yankees, who this week finally, finally signed D.J. LeMayhew. It was reported he wanted about $20 million a year. They got him for 15 a year, but he got stability. They got him for six years at $90 million a year. Actually, you know what, before I talk about LeMayhew, let me talk about Corey Kluber, because that's the most recent news. Corey Kluber signs with the Yankees one year, $11 million. He apparently worked with the Yankees, I believe it was I believe it's a quality control coach, I want to say. Uh, and Matt Blake, um, the pitching coach for, for the Yankees, was in Cleveland, so a lot of connections there. Obviously, Corey Kluber is not the AC he was in 2016, but... For eleven year, eleven million over one year, it's not a terrible deal. I know people keep saying it's a risk, but it's one year. It's eleven million dollars, especially for what some guys are getting paid in the MLB now. It's, it's it, some guys are getting paid ridiculous sums of money, uh, but it's it's a fairly good deal. And on top of that, the Yankees will have Luis Severino and Domingo Herman returning next year, and Jordan Montgomery is also insurance, so it's possible they could move some guys to middle relief. Now, go, getting back to LeMahieu here, six years, $90 million. This is a steal for the Yankees and stability for LeMahieu. He stays where he wants to be. They got him for $15 million a year, which I think is like criminally insane almost because, well, maybe not criminally insane, but this guy's getting paid $15 million a year. Great money. Good for him. I'd take $15 million a year. I'd take $100,000 a year to play in the MLB. But DJ LeMayhew gets $15 million a year, and compared to what some guys are getting, vastly underpaid because I think this guy is the best pure hitter in baseball. He's able to hit for some power. He can play multiple positions in the infield, and he's just a good guy in the clubhouse, and he just he clearly wants to stay. But, it, you know, honestly... I, I, regardless of team, this is just a general idea for me. It's and it's it's a hot take. I know you know people uh, will say this is a bit of a hot take, but it's honestly actually nice to see a club friendly deal for any team for once. Considering many more guys in this league and in sports are overpaid than not at le at least the guys on the on the really high level. So six years, ninety million. The Yankees have Lemayhew probably for the rest of his career, roughly. And I think they should be very happy with that deal. Although I, I, I'm not sure I would have gone about it the way they did. They waited a little long, but clearly, if they got him to bump it down five million dollars per year, then good for them. Now, my opinion also, I think the Yankees should go out and sign, re-sign Masahiro Tanaka on a multi-year deal. I'd say probably a two-year deal because he clearly wants to stay, and he has not had a ton of public free agent interest for some reason. Uh, he's a little older, but this is a guy who can, who is still a great postseason pitcher, good in the regular season, does not rely too much on his fastball, so he can pitch for a while. And the Yankees could get him for fifteen to seven million, fifteen to seventeen million dollars a year, I think, which is a fair deal. They would probably have to go over the luxury tax unless they could get him to, unless they can get him to sort of agree to to sort of backload the contract. So they can, he can defer some of his money, it, because if they could do that, he loves being here. He loves being a Yankee, and th the rumor is he might go back to Japan. That there, there aren't a lot of teams that are really talking to him for some reason. But if the Yankees were able to sign him, which seems unlikely, but they still could, they would load the rotation. They would improve middle relief, considering the guys they could move there. Probably Jordan Montgomery in particular, maybe Corey Kluber. So that will do it for now. We're going to take a break, come back, talk about the NBA and the NHL here on Sports in the Waiting Room. All right, back here on Sports in the Waiting Room, and now time to talk about the NBA, though, frankly, because it is so complicated, most of this segment will be 
just trying to break down this James Harden trade. So, uh, first off, the Nets get James Harden and a second-round pick from Cleveland in 2024. The Nets give up Jarrett Allen, Torian Prince, the rights to the 57th overall pick in 2017, Alexander Vizenkov. Those all go to those guys all go to Cleveland. Karis Levert and Rodion Skurks, I think I'm pronouncing that correctly. Three first rounders in 2022, 24, and 26, and four first round pick swaps 2021, 23, 25, and 27 to the Rockets. The Rockets get Levert, Kurooks, the first round picks, and the four first round pick swaps from the Nets. They also get Dante Exum and a first round pick in 2022 via Milwaukee from Cleveland. Rockets trade James Harden. The Cavs get Jarrett Allen, Toreen Prince, and Vesenkov. Cavs trade Exum and the first round pick to Houston and a 2024 second round pick to Brooklyn. Okay. So, um, this is essentially what I took from the whole thing. Um, so, Karis Levert also was then traded from the Cavalier, no, the Rockets to the Pacers and, hold on. Oh, this is a mess. Okay. So, in addition, Victor Oladipo is off to Houston, and Karis LeVert is off to Indiana. So the point is, this whole thing was a mess. Um, and my point here is that the Rockets actually won this trade out of all these guys. This James Harden thing, first off, the Nets gave up pretty much everything besides Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant because now Kevin Durant is their only good defender. As far as I can remember, Jarrett Allen is gone. Jarrett Allen is a much better defender than DeAndre Jordan now and he was probably as good a defender as anybody on that team. The Nets, if you thought they couldn't play defense before, they can't play it now, except for Kevin Durant. So they're just going. If they want to win a championship, they're going to have to win shootouts all year. That's the only way they can do it. Now, the look. The Nets also traded away their future. Allen was their future. Allen would have been their started starting center. Uh, a trade. They trade Prince, who is a fairly big deal. A trade away. Lavert, who was probably not going to get as much playing time, obviously with uh, Harden coming in, but you know they traded they traded their bench, they traded the future, they traded everything. They were a much better team on the whole with with the Nets. They were a deeper uh, sorry before this trade, they were a deeper team. And I'm not going to say they were a more talented team because James Harden is clearly the most talent, probably the most talented scorer in the league and the most talented scorer of the last 10 years, yada, yada, yada. And they have a better starting five than they would. But the fact is, part of this is, we don't know when Kyrie Irving's coming back. We don't know if this is insurance or if they really were trying to make this deal anyway. I, the, the whole thing is insane. Now, now again, dependent on Kyrie Irving, um, the, the question now is, when is he coming back? It's supposed to be within the week, I think, as I record this. How could he... Another question, how could he possibly stay out so long? You have to question whether this whole thing will work with Harden, whether Kyrie will get in the middle of this Durant-Harden chemistry that they supposedly still have from when they were in Oklahoma City together, but Oklahoma City traded Harden. Um... And most importantly, I think for me, is how could Irving be so irresponsible regarding the pandemic, going without a mask to a party, and it's like it's one thing if he and he's also doing it, you know, while he's not playing. He said, you know, he's he's giving reasons for him not playing, and then he's just going to go out to a birthday party without a mask, and you know, just be irresponsible. Now, frankly, I've given I've given Kyrie a fair amount of criticism 
um, you know, with some sensitive with sensitivity though. I, I do want to just note. Look, he obviously has good intentions. And the biggest thing, goodness, wow, a lot of credit, incredibly charitable, charitable and generous act. He purchased a house for the family of George Floyd. Obviously, we know some of Kyrie's, uh, part of the reason why Kyrie is sitting is racial injustice and the, and the violence at the Capitol in, in addition. And he's very, he's, uh, look, we all should be passionate about, um, Black Lives Matter and, and and being trying to make sure that violence like this doesn't happen, this unjustified violence doesn't happen. Um, but he is taking it on, especially, and um, God knows those people, the the Floyd family, have suffered far too much. One having uh, to to watch uh, Floyd die, but then you know just uh, just to have no justice and not have any. Not have any closure, not have any uh, jail time for the for the officer or officers. I'm not sure exactly how many people were involved in this, but um, for his killers. Um, but so I, I really I give Kyrie Irving a ton, a ton of credit as a human being and as just a, as, as a philanthropist for for being so generous. But the the thing is, the the fact that he hasn't addressed his absence directly. The fact that he took a while to communicate with his team, Steve Nash said he hadn't heard back from him uh, later in in that uh, the first game he hadn't returned, and the fact that he decided to go out with a mask in particular, that should concern people. Uh, he's doing some great things clearly for the community, but he, he's also doing some irresponsible things. The, the, the mask situation in particular, and he, he also has a commitment to his team. Now, fortunately, it seems like he is coming back, and he, but. I mean, the fact that he need, that he says he needs to get into basketball shape in order to get back just shows how long he's been out, and, and and it's kind of ridiculous the fact that he's been out in the first place. But so we'll see how that how those three guys meld. I still don't think the Nets are. I, I wouldn't say they're the team to beat. In the, well, they're the team to beat in the East, but I don't think they're the best team in the East. I'd still probably say it was Milwaukee, even after the Nets pulled off the victory on Monday night. I would still say Milwaukee is probably the team to beat. And then, you know, Philly's heating up. The Celtics are still there. Maybe the Heat, uh, if the Heat can wake up, they're probably about as dangerous as anybody. And then, yeah, Toronto's still kind of there. But that's that. Maybe Indiana. I don't know. Now that they got, now that they got Levert, maybe. I don't know. But the Rockets, I think, won this trade. Because the Rockets now are like the Celtics and the Pelicans in the last couple of years. They got a ton of picks, and they should be moderate to good contenders right now. Most importantly, they needed to get James Harden out of the locker room. Harden, first off with his, I don't know, the, the, the I saw the pictures. He may have been wearing, he honestly may have been wearing a fat suit. If you find, look up James Harden fat suit, and he looks, it might be the jersey, but he looks a lot heavier in one of those warm-ups with the Rockets than he does with the Nets. And look, we live in a crazy world. I wouldn't pe- I wouldn't put it past anybody to to try to do that to get out of there. And based on what DeMarcus Cousins and John Wall and some other guys said about James Harden uh, that that he quit on this team, and they're right. He did quit on the team. Uh, they he they really needed to get him out of the locker room. They needed a more stable organization. They get so let's say okay. So first off, they get Victor Oladipo, who look Harden's the best pure scorer in the trade, but Victor Oladipo might be a better all all around player. I'm not saying he's a better player, but he might be a more uh, more varied pe- player, a, a guy who's able to do a lot of different things. He's more flexible. He has a lot of James Harden's upside, but just without the drama. He's a likable guy. He, he's great in the locker room. He's a great scorer. He can play with. He can play with his. You know, he, he can pass the ball. James Harden, Harden, as I've really figured out, can pass the ball. But Victor Oladipo is j- just not as much of a distraction. So, I think the Rockets did a great job with this deal. They and they should be a team. Look, the Lakers are probably still the team to beat in the West, and then the Clippers are right there too. But the Rockets have really put themselves in contention. 
So uh, they they could be really good. And, and if they're really behind this decision, then that, that really forms a great team chemistry. Now, Karis Levert off to Indiana after that kind of secondary trade. He is out after a mass was found on his kidney after a physical. So the health, his health is the most important thing. I don't think they, I don't think they know at this point, at least as I'm recording this, whether it is cancerous. The health is most important for Karis Levert, and I, I, God willing, he'll be okay. But it does also bring up questions about Levert's physical condition prior to the trade, and what the Pacers and the Nets knew before and after the deal. So you have to wonder, you know, who who knew. What I mean, how what, did, was this the first time that people really found out about this? Um, I I don't know, but it, it's just, it's very very strange timing. And I also I was saying this to myself the other day that Indianapolis is a great uh, a great city, and you'll you'll find great medical attention anywhere. But it's kind of tough when you move from New York to Indianapolis. It's it's strange with the to find you know different. New York hospitals are probably as renowned as any in the country, so I, I just bring that up. I, uh, I I hope he does well, regardless of you know what what really the trade what happens with the trade. And speaking of health issues, Carl Anthony Towns has COVID. I'm especially hoping the best for him. You want anybody to recover from from COVID nineteen, but he had to watch his mother suffer through it and pass. He, he, he tweeted out a very heartfelt message promising his, I think it was just like his brother and sister, that you know he would not succumb to this thing like his mother would. So it's it's, it's especially tough to watch him go through it. I, I hope he does well. I, I hope uh, everything turns out to be okay. So just going to wrap up the show here. I'm going to be just talking about the NHL, local NHL. So... The Islanders and Rangers with two mirror opposite games in the first two games of the regular season, both at Madison Square Garden. The Islanders win the first game 4 to nothing, and then the Rangers win the second game 5 to nothing. As I record this, it's supposed to be, I don't know who the Islanders play, but I know it's supposed to be Rangers-Devils Tuesday night at the Garden. The Devils also, the Devils and the Bruins each got three points. They... The Devils beat the clock in overtime. It was, I believe his name was Igor Sharangovich. Uh, trying to figure it out. But the, yeah, it was, oh man, I forgot this guy's name. It was Ivan Sharangovich. And the point is the, the Devils were able to beat the clock with just under, I think, two seconds remaining in overtime. They stunned the Devils. Uh, they stunned the Bruins. And then you have, you know, the Bruins won the first game in a shootout. The Bruins are not as good a team as they were last year, I don't think, especially with the loss of Tory Crew and a little bit with the loss of Zdeno Chara. But they, but the Devils were able to prove something that they can, if they could stand up to a team like the Bruins. And actually, not just get them to overtime, but win a game and get three points out of that. So maybe the Devils will. Uh, you know, I, I was a little wary of the Devils early on, as maybe there are maybe two teams that that I thought maybe they might not be that great in the Atlantic Division. I, I figured it was going to be the Devils and the Sabers. Uh, Buffalo also apparently they were up for nothing on the. Philadelphia Flyers, who I would argue are the best team in the Atlantic Division. And Buffalo stunned them on Monday night by the score of 6-1. to one. They dominated Carter Hart. This is in Philadelphia. If Buffalo can beat Philly, then this division could go anywhere. Because I think the top of the division is probably the Flyers. And then maybe, I don't know, maybe, uh, probably... The Islanders, and then there's the kind of that middle that middle tier, which might be Boston's on the high end of it, and then probably like Washington, Pittsburgh, and the Rangers, and then Buffalo and New Jersey are, are kind of down there. But frankly, 
if Buffalo can beat the Flyers, this division could go anywhere. So the, the this whole Islanders-Rangers thing, though, obviously David Quinn must have given it to his guys in the locker room after, during and after the first game. Uh, the Rangers actually looked like the better team for much of that for a good portion of that second period in that first game, but the Isles just gave them too much. And Matt Barzal had a real highlight, real goal. He that was outstanding. The second game, I don't know if it would have gone the same. It's it's surprise to some fans that Semyon Semyon Varlamov got the start in the first game. It was a surprise to me because I've heard such great things about Ilya Sorokin. I didn't even realize he hadn't played in the NHL yet. But Ilya Sorokin, who was rumored to be the top guy, did not play the first game, but obviously it worked out for the Islanders. I think the Rangers may have outshot the Islanders, or at least they were close in that first game. And he got a shutout. We got a 4-0 win. Varlamov did. So Barry Trotz said, I'm going to start him for the second game. So, and... In the warm-up, if you didn't know this, in the warm-up, a puck hit Semyon Varlamov in the mask. He was not able to play. Sorokin got the start. You know, you feel bad for the guy who was about, with 10 minutes to spare, they, they tell him, you've got to start, you've got to play. And sometimes for a goaltender, that's good, because it gets the nerves out. But it, you just have to go straight into it. But you don't have a lot of time to think. But in this case, it didn't really work out. It might have been... That was in part due to the Islanders' play, I think I would say, and it could, you know, could, they could have been in their own heads because Barry Trotz said after the game it was our fault we were not careful enough with Varlamov. You don't do that. You don't shoot high on your goaltender in warmups. So maybe the Islanders were in their heads the entire game. They're just thinking about Varlamov the entire time. But anyway, this whole thing opened the goal, opened the door for Sorokin's first game. Not great. Not great whatsoever. He lets up five goals. Rangers win 5 nothing. There's some extracurricular activity. I know Ross Johnson and J.G. Uh, uh, Paggio, I think, suckered. This is the first game. I think J.G. Paggio suckered, uh, sucker punch Brendan Lemieux, who is, he's an instigator. He's a bit, gets it from his dad. It makes sense. And a uh, real firecracker with the Rangers. But the is a, there's a sucker punch. Rangers got their revenge. These guys are going to play six more times this year. That's what I love about this season. You're going to have all these teams playing each other, I think, eight times within their own division. You get, you know, the Isles Flyers, Rangers Isles, Rangers Devils, Penguins Devils, uh, Rangers Bruins, Sabres Bruins, Caps Rangers, Flyers, Islanders, Flyers Devils. It's going to be such a good, it's going to be such a great year in this division and in every division because you just get to see guys just grow for bigger and bigger hate of each other. Bigger and bigger hatred. It's going to be so much fun. Uh, so that that's uh, that's obviously not what I what I uh, want. That's not the general theme I want for the program. I uh, just want I just want you to be safe and respectful. But in terms of hockey, I love people punching each other. It's pretty fun. Uh, so that'll do it for the program this week. I thank you so much for listening. Please be safe. Be civil. Be with you know, the people you love. And I will talk to you next week.